welcome to a brand new segment of the socially desi show this is the hustle lounge hustle lounge aims at showcasing stories of entrepreneurs across the world the idea is to bring narratives that speak of real hustles that every founder has to go through to start and run one's business in this episode of the hustle lounge we are interacting with piyush suri He's the founder and creative director of Handmade in Britain. Handmade in Britain is the leading organizer of contemporary craft fairs in the UK since 2007. Alongside Handmade in Britain, he runs a recipe platform in Berlin called Asian Kitchen. Fantastic. So excited to talk to you today Piyush. Um could you throw some light on your journey as an entrepreneur and how did how did the idea of Handmade in Britain come about? Well, thank you for having me here, Anurag and Garima. Um, so nice of you to have me here. Well, handmade in Britain, it is still a journey. It has been a long journey. Um, so I moved to London in two thousand one to do my masters from Central Saint Martin's College of Art and Design, and I had this um, course which was really good. And Saint Martin is really good of making you as an entrepreneur to start your own business. They never teach you to work for somebody. I think okay. you can. call it i think you can call it as um a kind of a skill development with them because they make you your own they have you have your own identity basically so after i graduated i worked uh, as a freelance designer for many print houses and worked a lot of places but what i wanted to do was i wanted to have my own label i wanted to have my own brand design brand but it was very very difficult especially an indian coming from delhi going to london don't know what how it will work don't know what uh, methods were available to start a business what funding was available i was completely new secondly there were very little platforms available in terms of there were not many shows happening so there was mm. only one fair which i remember was chelsea craft fair which was run by crafts council and it was so oversubscribed you know it was such a popular show running for 25 30 years and it was so oversubscribed that new graduates like me would never stand a chance to get in okay so i was working part time i was doing freelance work and one day while working part time i was so frustrated you said what damn it i'm going to start my own show <laughs> Okay. While working part time, I was actually planning all this, and I looked at handmade in Britain. The word I said, "Ah, but this sounds good. Handmade in Britain. It says what it is. Made in Britain." Mm-hmm. Coming from India, you know, we take so much of pride on handmade in India. We work with artisans, and my background, studying in NIFT and working with a lot of artists, you know, a lot of export houses. So I have worked with a lot of handmade um, products. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to start. I was lucky enough to get handmade in Britain website. at handmadeinbritain.co.uk and also to register a company i was wondering that how come nobody registered a company in britain called handmade in britain it just <laughs> took one indian to go there to identify there's a gap in the market and register the company so that was it 2007 i started handmade in britain fantastic and why uh Uh, you know you spoke about india and you know as indians we take pride in handmade products do british folks also take pride in in handmade products or how did this this idea come about well in india i think it's much more evident because india handmade is more about skill so yeah. it is everywhere you know so if if you look at our history if you look at our culture handmade is embedded in everyday life whereas in britain handmade is about you are a designer and you are a maker 
So it is considered a little bit more luxurious because it's a lot more expensive. So handmade was always there everywhere, but acknowledging it was not that much, you know? So craft has always been in Europe, craft has always been that luxury item. Whereas in Asia, craft is always is an everyday object. So that mm. is the difference. Uh, so that is the difference. So my job as a handmaid in Britain was to bring that just to say that craft is not just luxury. You know, everybody can afford it. So handmaid in Britain had two messages, basically, when I started that for the designer makers, yes, you can make a living. It's not a hobby or it's not just a part time because you see here, a lot of people are working part time, but also doing their craft as a hobby. And there is people who think craft as a luxury item. Oh, my God, I can't afford that. So the first thing when they hear about craft is, oh, it's too expensive. I can't afford it. So Handmade in Britain started with a message that, no, actually, you can afford it. So you can buy things which are handmade, which are not as expensive as you think they might be. You know, so it's all about quality. So as I me uh, mentioned before that the Chelsea Craft Fair, I had mm -hmm. visited that show before I started my Handmade in Britain. It was all about luxury, you know, things which quote unquote, normal people, normal mm -hmm. is a very interesting word to say that, exactly, that they can afford or not afford. Right. So Handmade in Britain, that's the reason I thought that it will be more important for Handmade in Britain to bring that craft into every people's life. Hmm. So to answer your question, sorry, that yes, it was there, but it was not widely acknowledged. Interesting. And, you know, you a Delhi boy going to UK for studies and then figuring out a business model and, and trying to do something different. How difficult uh, was it, you know, for you to establish your business there? How was the environment, business environment? Was it, uh, was it something that uh, you thought uh, in the initial days that you will be able to uh, set up easily or did it take time for you to understand the environment uh, and then make it uh, truly global? Oh, I was an idiot when I started. I must say that I had absolutely no clue. I was a designer. I was not an event organizer. I was mm. not creating a platform. I had nothing in mind. The only thing that I had in mind was I want to start my own show so that I can show my work mm. and then I can give a platform to other people. I had, I made thousands of mistakes and you know that those mistakes were learning lessons for me. I invested my own money. So I was doing my design work, freelance work, making money there, doing part-time evening jobs, you know, in a, in a bar, saving those months, saving that money and putting everything in handmade in Britain. Hmm. I did not know that I could get the government funding. I, I did not know that I could get the business mentoring, but it was my mistake because hmm. I never... You know, I never had that mentor who could say that I did not come from a family of business owners, that how business could be owned. And I did not have any friends who were running their own businesses. They were all designers or they were all working. Right. So I never got that, uh, you know, business mentoring, which I should have got it, hmm. you know. So I made many mistakes. I kept on, I did not pay myself for three years, four years, which is one, one of the big mistakes we always make when you open a company, you should be paying yourself because you're working hard so much. Um, slowly and slowly, I got in touch with a lot of other organizations and because mm -hmm. handmade in Britain, people started to get to know a little bit organized uh, about us. So I started networking a little bit. 
And then people started coming to the show. Eventually, one thing I would say that my shows have always been about quality. So Mm -hmm. coming from a design background, I knew that I needed to do a show in one of the prestigious locations, which was Chelsea. Chelsea and Kensington is the richest borough of Britain. Okay. And I did not want to do a show anywhere else. I really wanted to do the show there. And so I made it possible. I dreamt of it. I made it possible. I made a loss. Yes. I made hundred mistakes. Yes. But I took them as learning, you know, that learning, which I did it practically would nobody would have taught me, you know, you can plan for everything to do, but you cannot plan when you're actually in the situation. True. So I took everything as a learning. I improved, I improved. And then you know what? Here I am today. I remember my first show in 2007. It went really bad Hmm. because my marketing was weak. I was not well connected. The show was put up great. The stands were not many people turned up to the show. And I remember those five English women craftspeople I would say because it could be a hint of racism or it not, but I did not take it as a hint of racism. But now I look at back. So these five women came to me and took me to the room who were the exhibitors. Of course, they were not selling. They Mm -hmm. told me that you will never be successful in this. And we will make sure that you never do a show again because your shows are rubbish. That's what I'm saying. So that I took it to heart. I said, you know what? Actually, I did this with a very clean heart because I wanted to be successful. Hmm. But now I took it as a challenge and I will show you that who I am and what I can do as Handmade in Britain. Five years later, two of those people actually emailed me that they wanted to do my show again. And they said that in 2007, we did your show and then it was not good. Can you tell us, uh, you know, I responded, obviously, as a business, Mm -hmm. I need to detach myself from the emotion. I never took them back and I will never take them back, you know? Yeah, so many struggles. Still struggling. Uh, Every business has struggled, but I did struggle a lot, yes. Fabulous. But I think the resilience and um, all your passion just just paid off in in the right way, right? Um, I think we Indians are born resilient, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, true. It's it's, it's a natural (laughs) habitat, you know, to be resilient. Yeah. Hope. Hope and resilience. I think these are the two things which we are taught, if nothing else. (laughs) Very true. Very true. So speaking of which, um, how tough was COVID? Because people were not traveling. You were all about shows. Uh, Large gatherings were, you know, just came to an end and people started to talk about the new normal. I have no idea what that is myself, but I feel, I feel old habits die hard and everybody is back. But what is your take on this? What did you do to your business to, to be where you are and still be relevant? And I believe you have a show coming up soon as well. So how was this whole journey, um, you know, that, that you had in the last two years of the pandemic? COVID was hard. Um, I, if I had to say personally, I think I needed a break obviously. Uh, so personally it did very well for me. I got, got to gather my thoughts, got to gather what direction I want handmade in Britain to go through. Um, sorry, I, in what direction ha- I want handmade in Britain to go to, but on a professional level, I think it was difficult because, uh, one of our platform main platform is to organize events and everything right. was shut down, but we were lucky that I would not say we were lucky. I would say I was lucky to have partnered with one of my best friends from childhood friends. And in 2019, before COVID, we had 
open an e-commerce platform. Hmm. We did not know that COVID is coming, but somehow I got together with a very good friend of mine, Saket, and then we opened this. And so that got us through COVID, I would say that. Plus, we did get some funding from the government, Arts Council funding, because we were one of the organizations, a company, a profitable uh, organization, either you're a charity or or you're a Mm -hmm. business organization. So we were one of those, we were one of the very few crafts organization who got the funding in excess of 100,000 pounds from Arts Council to keep on running the business for what we are doing for the craft sector in Britain. So that was a bit of luck as well. it has changed directions, I would say. Now we are becoming more and more digital. Okay. And it, we realize that people are still scared mm-hmm. of traveling. Uh, the shows have started happening, but they are at the capacity of um, half okay. full, probably. Designers, are, uh, they are scared to do the show because, of course, it's a big expense. When you're doing a show, you spend a lot of money. And if you don't sell or if you don't meet right kind of people, it impacts because 18 months, nobody did any shows. If organizers like us didn't curate the shows, Mm -hmm. designer makers did not have any opportunity to do the shows. So it's like a cat and mouse situation, you know? So I think we will continue doing the shows, obviously, but our um, route is more digital and hybrid models. So we also launched virtual fairs. Mm-hmm. We were one of the first people, actually, we are the first people in the craft sector to launch an interactive virtual craft fair. We are working on it, thanks to Saket, because he has a technology background. And uh, we want to continue with that. Uh, we want to create a model which is self-sustainable in terms of we do hybrid for some time and mm-hmm. then probably go digital route. No, wonderful. Actually, I was about to ask you about virtual fairs because uh, I've seen a few people do it uh in the western world and in fact uh, there's one company in india which is actually starting to do something in the similar space they are uh, they are um, experimenting with augmented reality and uh, they're doing this for uh, uh, artists and designers so um, you know after the episode we'll definitely uh, share those details with you maybe you would like to uh, explore their um, you know platform as well but uh, but yeah, I mean, do you feel that uh, virtual fairs vis-a-vis uh, your uh, model, w- which you spoke about, uh, the, the in-person experience of a fair, how difference uh, will that create uh, with respect to showcasing an art? Because, you know, sometimes an art can be showcased digitally well, but then, you know, the experience of uh, seeing it live in front of you, uh, maybe, you know, touching it or maybe experiencing it through a 360 degree uh, bird's eye view. How does that really uh, affects, um, uh, uh, let's say, the business and the whole experience of uh, the customers? I think our target customers are mainly 50 plus. I would say that. Mm -hmm. So it is a little bit... um, challenging i would say it's not difficult but it's challenging to change them you know to make them understand how the virtual fairs work but having said that our virtual fairs um, are gaining traction we are um, we are getting more and more registrations we people are you know coming and w- watching the show because we have some live sessions we have demonstration videos but it is nothing as what an actual fair is like yeah you know the feeling people really want to come people really want to connect and network you know they want to see the jewelry in person so 
This is also a cat and mouse situation for us as well, that we just continue only with digital or we continue both. But the overheads are much higher, obviously, when you're yeah. doing a fair and when you're doing an interactive virtual fair, the overheads are less. But then you're also catering to a younger market, the millennials and Gen Z. So reaching there. So I feel that um, virtual events are here to stay. Mm-hmm. They definitely have a future. If not this year, maybe in three years or five years. So sooner or later, we all have to catch up with technology. I mean, in 2019, if somebody said that you and me would be speaking like this in different continents or everybody would be working remotely from home, we'll say, oh, shut up, you know, (laughs) get out of here. But now Zoom is so normal. So virtual fairs in three years time, I think will be very, very normal. And they're already normal in medical and education sector anyways, the conferences and 3D, uh, 3D events now. So why not in art and the craft world? Absolutely. I think, yes, uh, it is here to stay and it's all about embracing the future as soon as possible and integrating it with your business. And uh, since you're an artist, a designer, you already have uh, the understanding of how things work uh, with respect to organizing and implementing uh, the different business aspects in your affairs. So this is just going to be a new plug that you put in, but has to be curated in a way that, like you said, your audiences are 50 plus. So for you to actually uh, uh, keep them uh, uh, as part of the system and then bring in the millennials and the Gen Zs, that is going to be, I'm sure, uh, a different challenge, but something that, uh, you know, we all look forward to. Uh, moving uh, moving ahead, um, so interesting question that we have uh, for you. I'm a big foodie and I'm sure Garima is a big foodie as well. Uh, and we just spoke in the start of the episode that you have your own recipe platform. Uh, so tell us a bit about that and how did that happen? You know, uh, two different uh, scenarios, two different businesses, two different countries. How did that happen? Well, I have been a foodie all my life. I, I loved cooking since I used to see my mom cooking and her recipes. And I always used to question, why are you cooking like this? Why are, why can't you do this? You know, so I always mm. had this... I. I had, I'd always, as a youngest child, I'm, I'm a rebel. You know, I'd always had this rebellious streak in me. So I always had to change the system. I still want to change the systems. Why, you know, is my favorite question. Why are you doing this? So as I said that 2001, I moved to London and then um, I've been going to Berlin quite often. So 2015, I decided that, you know what, actually I want to live in Berlin. And London, I wasn't ready to leave. Berlin, I loved the city because I love the pace, you know, and I just wanted to slow down a little bit. That my mantra about slowing down with handmade in Britain. So I said, oh, I'm preaching. I need to practice that too, obviously. Hmm. So that made me move to Berlin. Um, but I still do half and half. Uh, so actually, I would say 80% Berlin, 20% London now, I would say. Okay. So when, I, when I was in Berlin, London has one of the most amazing Indian foods, I would say that outside India, you know. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Berlin, my God, that was terrible. So my friend said, oh my God, there's a great Indian restaurant. It was so awful, I would say that. Then I thought, you know what? Actually, why don't I start? So I started doing supper clubs. My okay. friends ate the food and they said, you should start doing something professionally. I said, well, I'm not hmm. a professional chef. I can cook a home-style food. So I started doing supper clubs in home, actually, okay. before Corona. So I did for one year. Mm-hmm. So once a month, I would have my flat. I would have at least eight to 10 guests. They will have okay. a five-course meal. They would not know what is going to be served. There wouldn't be any menu. And every mm-hmm. food, when the plate is 
plate is served, then I would tell them, this is the food and this is the story why this is there. So I started that. So I ran just before Corona and uh, then everything shut down. So one of my friend who had eaten my food during the supper club, she's a filmmaker, Jane. She's okay. from China. And so she came to me and she said that I would like to do a YouTube channel. I'm planning a YouTube channel and a recipe platform. And I would like you to be one of the cooks to do the videos. I said, okay. And then after a couple of months of development, she said, actually, I would like you to be a business partner because I want to bring your experience of running events and an mm -hmm. e-commerce platform and all those things bring together. And I think we would be a good fit together to run. So hence Asian Kitchen in Berlin was born. And so we just launched last year in November, 2020. The website has recently been launched. Season one okay. is on the YouTube. It's just Asian Kitchen Berlin. And, um, so we have right now four countries, Indonesia, China, Thailand, and India. And every, every season, we would have 25 episodes, 25 recipes. So those recipes okay. you can watch on our YouTube channel and also on the, uh, on the website. Hmm. Let me tell you that is the Indian recipes are for the white people here. Of course, they are, you know, so of course, every, yeah. if people are going to watch my recipe, they say, ah, oh, that's so simple. That's good. But it's a lentil, mm. yellow lentil. We've been cooking all our lives. But yep. you, I have to keep in account my target audience. So give true, them something true. simple to cook and easy to follow recipes. That's our mantra, basically. Wonderful, wonderful. And what's your star dish? What is that one dish that you love to cook? I would say that... Uh, there are quite a few, but I, there are two dishes which I love to cook is when I'm feeling homesick and I need to have that comfort food. That is the yellow lentils, you know, ki dal. this is, mm. you know, I do that. And one dish I love to cook, which my mom used to cook amazing, itch, which is katel. I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah. Yes, exactly. You know, which is katel and aloo, which is, you know, it just tastes like if you are a vegetarian, then it just tastes like meat, you know? So it's a vegetarian meat dish. Yeah. I've heard that all my life being a vegetarian. This this just tastes like meat. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm flexitarian. So I, I think Berlin more and more people are becoming vegan and most of my friends are vegetarian. So I actually cook just vegetarian food. I hardly cook meat and I hardly eat meat outside as well. Hmm. So I was I was more of a meat eater in India. I'm more of a vegetarian in the West. <laughs> Wonderful. And um, very, very different uh, startups, uh, Piyush, but uh, there are interesting synergies like you, you know, you speak about slowing down, you speak about embracing handmade. So there are many similarities in the two businesses as they are different as well. But were there any learnings that you had from your first startup? And you also mentioned your business partner sort of embraced your previous experience as an e-com owner and as an, uh, you know, a craft fair uh, expert. Were there any hmm. core learnings that you had from, from Handmade in Britain, which translated into sort of, you know, streamlining effort towards Asian kitchen? Absolutely. I would say that I am taking that experience and bringing that to Asian Kitchen in Berlin. If we have to look at it on a macro level, both platforms are going to be similar. In one, right. we are supporting designer makers and craftspeople. And in the other platform, we are supporting the cooks who are making food who do not have the capacity to open their own restaurant, but to have to promote their dinner events, their cooking workshops through our channel. So one thing I forgot to tell you guys before was it's just not a recipe platform. It's also a platform where it will be an e-commerce 
marketplace where all the cooks can sell their spices or chutneys or things, homemade mm. things. Mm. Plus, they can run their cooking workshops and dinner events through a platform as well. So it is, as you see, that's on a macro level, they both are very similar. We plan to do events through this. We want to launch Asian uh, Food Festival in Berlin in okay. three years' time, once we have enough, you know. So that mm. brings my experience of running an event, e-commerce events. So everything what I think I'm learning and I've gathered experience from Handmade in Britain, I think I'm applying to that Asian Kitchen in Berlin. And although the language is dif difficult, obviously, so I have just done B1 level of German, but that would be like eight-year-old speaking German, not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not the language you want to yeah. run business in, obviously. <laughs> so, but yes, slowly and slowly, you know, covering one step at a time. Fantastic. Fantastic, Piyush. And we wish you well. Uh, so excited to hear about both the businesses and um, uh, very, very excited to sort of, you know, know about your hustles and how you've overcome them. You know, it's, it's, it's not the, you know, it, it all sounds easy and hindsight is 2020 and you can always go and say, I could have done this and I made a thousand mistakes, but to come up front, talk about it. And, uh, I think it's great learning for everybody who's watching this or listening to this episode. So thank you so very much for sparing your time. today. You're welcome. I, can I just add one more thing? I think the hustles never stop in a business. And if somebody listening to this and are looking to start a business, I would say that please never wait till the perfect moment because the perfect moment never comes. You will always have to learn. Um, but one thing comes with experience, what my experience has taught me that I've started, I've learned to say no and learn to analyze things much better because when you're young in business, you take every opportunity, which is fine because that becomes a learning curve. But after a while, you analyze and you can, you know, detach yourself, uh, you know, from the whole situation and see what is going to benefit you as a person or as a, in a business, you know, both. It's a very fine balance. Uh, so hustles are still coming. Uh, I think either you can say that I've become a little bit more experienced or I've become a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, it, uh, detached from the situation. So it becomes a little bit easier with time, but struggles will always be there if you're becoming a business owner, you know. Thank you so much, uh, Piyush, for being on the show today. It has been a lovely, fantastic discussion. And I'm sure people listening and watching us on YouTube and as well as on Spotify and wherever you are, uh, they must have gained a lot many good insights and uh, anything else guys you want to check out or uh, you want to ask Piyush feel free to uh, reach him out or reach us out we'll help you to get in touch with him uh, apart from that uh, go check out Handmade in Britain it's a perfect website to gift or uh, buy something that you truly want and that's made with love so keep showering your love and do let us know if you have some powerful entrepreneurs that we can speak to and until next time keep hustling